up I would always on Mother's Day ask my mom well when's when's child day she's like every other day (laughs) so it's good to take time to celebrate moms Uh, we're walking through the book of Ephesians the reason being is we're laying a foundation hopefully a solid foundation as we're in this pre-grand open pre-officially launched phase of our church to really get a good grasp on who we are in Christ and what that means on a daily, real-life basis. Man, I see moms all around, like, wiping their eyes. That's good stuff, all right? It's a good day when you make a mom cry, I guess, you know? But um, so what, what Ephesians does is it sets the tone for who we are in Christ the whole first half of the chapter, but then it talks about the second half of the chapter, what that means, what that looks like, what's the practical daily living in this life in Christ. So as our slides show here, the first half, chapter one through three, is about the position, it's about what we have, who we are in Christ, the riches, the, the wealth of our relationship because of what we have in Christ. But then the second half of the book talks about the practical, the daily living. Okay, it's great that I'm a son and daughter of God adopted in his family, but what does that, how do I live that out as a wife? How do I live that out as, a, as an employer? You know, those kinds of things, the very practical side of it. So we're walking through this to make sure we understand at the foundation of our church, man, who we are, but then equally important, how to live that out in our daily, daily life. Because it's great to have all kinds of information about God, but man, if we can't put that into application and live it, then it's kind of just a bunch of knowledge to puff us up. We've got to put it into action. And so we have walked through the first uh, 14 verses already of chapter 1. And in these 14, uh, 14 or so, 13 verses, Paul has kind of given us a, a background look at what uh, salvation really is like. It's kind of a behind-the-scenes look at what the reality of salvation is. From our perspective, you know, we look at it as, you know, God uh, loves us. He, he, are, he sent us Jesus. And when we finally surrender to Jesus, we give him our life and we, we, we trust in him. And he sets us as one of his sons and daughters and, and on we go. That's kind of our perspective of it. But what verses 1 through 14 do is they open up the window to the behind the scenes look at it to show that before the world was even formed, your salvation was already settled. And that's, a, that's an amazing thought. The Bible says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So that means before the world was settled, you who believe were settled in him. But then it goes on to talk about, to demonstrate how, how amazing and how glorious and how all-knowing and compassionate and to display how huge the atonement for our sin was. He put all of our sin on Jesus, every single one, every single sin of those who believe. And as Jesus was put into the ground, into the grave, our sin was infinitely removed from us, from those who would believe. The Bible says basically that our sin is as removed as God is rich because he the riches of his glory, the riches of his grace have taken our sin far be it from us. And then last week we talked about how the, it's, we're not only thought of before eons ago, before the foundation of the world, and that God put all of our sin on Jesus and took it eternally away, but the Holy Spirit himself is given to us to mark us, to mark us as ones of God's very own. 
We are sealed, the Bible says, we talked about last week, with the Spirit of God. So that I can know that my future is as for sure as the Spirit has me sealed. So however strong the sealing of the Spirit is, that's how strong your future is in Christ. So if the Spirit can let you go, then man, you, we, we don't have a very for sure future. But if the Spirit is as strong as the Word of God says He is, and if we are sealed as the Spirit, the Word of God says we are, man, our future is for sure in Christ. So where could Paul possibly go from here? He's talked about this enormous backstage story of, of how all this was set in motion before the world and the universe was even set in motion. Far beyond we, our belief. Far be, before our, our, even our birth. So where does Paul go from here? He prays. Like, that's a good thing to do, right? He prays for the people who are going to be reading this letter that their eyes the eyes of their heart, the eyes of their minds be opened to this truth. You know, my mom, man, she's an amazing mom. Uh, my mom taught me a lot. She served me as a child so well, so faithfully. Um, she serves me even now by loving me at, a, at a, what I call loving me at a distance. You know those moms who like stay in the marriage, you know, of the, of the children? I, I hear laughter, so I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, that's, that's not good. It's beautiful when a mom loves from a distance. My mother-in-law is here. She's one of the greatest mother-in-laws in the world because she loves me and April from a distance. She talks with April every day. She, she's, in, she's, you know, she's friends with her daughter. But, man, she never gets into in the middle of us. That's beautiful. So my mom still loves me today as much as she ever did. But my mom, like nearly every mom in the world, was faithful to her children. The greatest way my mom showed her faithfulness to me wasn't by giving me everything I wanted, but she always, of course, met my needs. It wasn't by uh, puffing me up with unnatural self-esteem, though she always esteemed me well. But the greatest way my mother showed faithfulness to me was by how she prayed for me. If we don't get anything out of today as we go through this scripture, get this. A faithful mom faithfully Praise. A faithful mom faithfully prays. But prays for what? Right? There's so much that we could pray for. And you only have a certain amount of time in the day to, to pray. So what do we pray for? We find ourselves praying for, uh, for things like safety. Like, God, keep my child safe. Well, what if the safest place for your child was smack dab in the center of God's will, and God's will for your child was to be in Afghanistan preaching the truth of Jesus in a hostile situation? Oh, well, maybe we shouldn't pray for safety then. But the safest place is in the center of God's will. Do we believe in that? Do we believe that God's will is the safest place? Sure we do. We pray for things like for peace and for health. We pray for long life. We pray for a good job. And as you, you, you get older and your, your daughter and son get married, you start to pray that they'll have grandchildren, a bunch of them, so that you just get to spoil your grandkids like Ruth does to her grandkids all the time. Now, I know Paul wasn't a mom, okay? But it's Mother's Day. And we're going to take this text and we're going to make sure we have some sufficient application for moms. But you know what? All of us can apply this to our daily life. So with today being Mom's Day and today knowing that a faithful mom faithfully prays, we're about to walk through one of Paul's most passionate prayers for those who believe, for those of his ch spiritual children. So let's just go here and look, at, starting at verse 15 is where we pick up. So go ahead and, and maximize this in a little bit tighter here. Um, there we go, 15. 15. 
So Paul said, he's, he's just given this background, this behind-the-scenes look at salvation. And he says, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love towards the saints. And I'll just take a quick time out. We don't have time to really go into this. But have you ever wondered what a mark of a real believer is? Like, how do you know someone's a real believer? Here, here's two if you want to write them down. We're not going to go into this. But faith in the Lord Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord Okay, that's a mark of a real believer. And then check this out, love towards other believers. Now, I can love Jesus, but I don't know about loving Craig, right? Isn't that how we do? Well, the mark of a real believer is someone who loves Jesus and loves Craig. Or any believer, not just Craig. <laughs> but but it, this, this love is, is not discriminate. Love meant Jesus loves every believer equally the same. If you have a true faith, listen, we're going to have a true love for each other. That's a mark. So we're, we're going to move on because... Uh, we want to get into this prayer. So because of this, because he's heard that they are genuine in their faith, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul is praying for these new believers, for these believers in Ephesus. And he gives us the content of this prayer. Now, if I was a mom, which I'm not, but I love my daughter and I pray we have a lot more and I pray for her all the, every day. And I'll pray for my future kids as we get them every day. And I know how limited my time is on a daily schedule, right? We've got things to do. So if, if, if I want to maximize my time of prayer for my kids and for my wife and for, my, for you and for each, for each of us, for this community, man, I want to zoom in to learning what is Paul praying for. Paul was a busy guy. Man, he was sitting in prison when he was writing some of these letters, but he was still busy discipling people, winning jailers to Christ. I mean, all this kind of stuff, writing letters. So what is Paul praying for? If you've ever had the thought of, man, what should I pray for? What should I pray? Your ears ought to perk up and be like, man, I'm going to write this down because I sometimes don't know what to pray for. Well, here we go. This is what Paul prays for. He says, I'm praying in my prayers, verse 17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, or the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So here's what's happening. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit, whom has already been given, would illuminate the hearts and minds of the believers of what they have in, in God. I watched the show. I love the show um, Storage Wars. Anybody seen that show, Storage Wars? All right, we've got some Storage Wars fans. My favorite character in there is Barry, okay? He's a kook, all right? But he is just a neat guy, all right? He was new to this. If you haven't seen Storage Wars, they bid on storage units, okay? When people don't pay their bill, they, they have an auction, and they auction off storage units. And you can't go inside. You can't touch anything, you know, whatever. And the guy who does the auction, he's really, really fast. I don't know how they do that. You know, all right, I got one, I got one, you know, all that stuff in the auction. And I don't understand how they can talk that fast. But Barry, he was kind of new to the auction, all right, to the whole auction scene. And if you remember the, the early seasons, he, he would constantly bid on a locker that he already had the highest bid on because he was so confused. He was so confused at what the auctioneer was doing, who had the highest bid. So he already had it, let's say for 600 bucks and the auctioneer is asking for seven. He said, I'll do it for seven, but he already had it for six and there's nobody else bidding. Here's what happens. We have won the locker. We have all of the possessions of Christ that we could ever have, but yet we don't realize it. 
and we ask for more. We've already got the highest bid. We've already got the locker. It's going to be ours as soon as he says, you bought it. But we don't go for it. We say, well, we need this. We need more. We need extra. And what Paul is saying is, look, you don't need more. There's no more of God for you to get. You've got it all. But I'm praying that you would receive a spirit of wisdom about what you do have in Christ what you do have in God. And he continues, go on down to verse 18. And this is really the meat of it all, okay? He says, starting verse 18, that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, I know it says heart, but we've got to do a little bit of context here. In the first century, well, today when we think of heart, we think of emotion, you know, I love you with all my heart, you know, uh, the corazón, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, we think of heart. We think of emotion, we think of, of, of the seedbed of affection. But in the first century, the seedbed of affection and of emotion was actually the bowels, all right? So when Paul in, in 1 and 2 Corinthians, he talks about the, the, he actually says the bowels of my affection. Now we don't really, tra- the old English translates it that way, but we usually translate it like, you know, the, the heart of my affection or whatever. But in the first century, the seedbed of knowledge and of wisdom and of insight was the heart, so what we've done in our culture 21 uh, centuries later, we've kind of moved them up, all right? So what Paul is saying isn't that your emotions be enlightened, but that your mind be enlightened, okay? Let's make sure we understand that. Paul is saying your emotions can get in the what? Get in the way. They get in the way. But, our, but, when, but when the Holy Spirit enables us, he's praying that you'll have a spirit of wisdom so that your mind would be enlightened to the reality of what you have in Christ. Listen, the problem is not a lack of blessing. We have full blessing. We have it all. The the problem is a lack of insight, a lack of understanding what we have in Christ. Our emotions, man, they get the best of us at times, don't they? No matter who we are. Some people might struggle with it more than others, but our emotions get the best of us. They get in the way of the reality of who we are in Christ. God has declared us as righteous, but yet we feel dirty because of our past sins. And so we don't believe the truth of God. God has declared us that we have every spiritual blessing that Christ has. Yet we feel inadequate of such a blessing And so, as a result, we don't live in the reality of that blessing. God has declared us to be holy and blameless before him, but yet we look in the mirror and we don't see what we like, and so we have a negative opinion and an idea about who we are. Emotions get in the way, and so Paul is praying, and every faithful mom should pray, that the eyes of the believer's minds be opened to the reality of who we are now. In Christ. A commentator writes this. He says, You are no afterthought. Man, what a powerful thought. (laughs) You are no afterthought. God not only chose to save you, but He chose to save you eons before you even existed, eons before you would have the opportunity to respond to His grace to choose Him. That's who you are. You are not an afterthought. Understanding who we are in Christ is required in order to be obedient to fulfilling the life that Christ has called us to live. So he says, having the eyes of your heart, your mind enlightened to know that you, about this hope that God has called you, 
to know about the riches of this glorious inheritance that we have in Christ. And then going into verse 19, there's so much more here. I just want to focus in on this enlightening and, and, and what we are to, what Paul is wanting to be very crystal clear in our lives. And he gets into it here in verse 19. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? So he wants to be enlightened. The enlightenment is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe. You see, there is a power at work in us, in those who believe. Paul is saying, I want the, I pray daily that your heart, your mind, and our culture would be enlightened to the reality of the power that's at work in you. Now you say, all right, Paul, you're telling us we have this power that's working towards the believers, but how powerful is this power? Because some days I feel like I got a power. Some days I feel like, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But really, how powerful is that power? And he answers that in verse 20. This is so beautiful. He says, this power, this power that you have working in you, it's the same power that he, God, worked in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead. Now let's let that sink in. The same power that is at work in you to bring about an obedience to Christ to bring about the sanctification of our lives. That same power is the same power that God used to breathe life back into his dead son after he was placed into the ground for our sin. And that ought to blow our minds off of our shoulders. That that same power is the power that works in us. And it's the same power that he used when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the right hand of the heavenly places. And he placed him so far above, so high, 21 and 22 talk about, it's so high that nothing that could ever be named, no principality, no power, no Satan, no anything could ever touch the bigness of God. So here's the reality. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead one day will raise us from the dead. That same power that placed Jesus at the right hand of God will one day place us at the right hand physically as well. We're already there spiritually in Christ, but one day physically. For us to doubt this, for us to doubt the power that is working towards us, the, to, for us to doubt the power of the Spirit of God that we have to, to become into the conformity of Christ, the, for us to doubt that is for us to really doubt the fact that God has the power to raise his son from the dead. It's the same power. I don't think any of us in this room would say, you know, I, I doubt the power of God to raise Jesus. And maybe you do. Okay, that's fine. Let, let's, let's talk. Let's, let's meet there. Let's talk there. But most of us would probably say, I don't doubt that power. Well, then why do we doubt the power of God that we have in our lives to bring about holiness in our own lives? But we doubt it all the times. So here's what we call our journey marker. Here, here's, here, if we could boil all this down to one simple truth. A faithful mom faithfully prays for peace, yeah, for, for you know, safety, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying don't pray for those, for a bunch of kids, grandkids, you know. But a faithful mom faithfully prays for enlightenment to God's empowerment. 
As you as a mom, if you want to be used by God to make a huge impact, a huge difference in the lives of your children, then you're going to pray for God's enlightenment to the empowerment that they have in Christ. That they would, know, they would not just walk through life like a defeated you know, Christian that we have plenty of, but they would realize that the eyes of their mind would be open to the reality of who they are in Christ. When you pray for your children, pray that the minds of the loved ones in your life would be enlightened to this power. If the ones that you're praying for don't believe in Jesus, then definitely need to pray that they would believe in Jesus. But once they believe, we need to all, this is what Paul prayed for. This, he didn't pray for their safety. He didn't pray for them to have a bunch of kids, you know, all that kind of stuff. Though that would have been good stuff to pray for. But he prayed that their minds would be open to the reality of who they are in Christ. If we're ever going to have a chance at loving God by obeying God, our minds must be opened to the truth of the power that is at work in us. Jesus promised when he was about to ascend in Acts 1-8, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. It's the same deal. It's the same word. The power to be his witnesses. But what's happened is so many of us, we live not by the truth of the power that's at work in us. We live in the reality of our fears and our emotions. We feel first and we think second. Instead of thinking and believing the truth of God and then acting in that truth of who God has made us. But what if we all, not just moms, today's Mother's Day, so we got some specific application. Faithfully moms, faithfully pray for enlightenment and for empowerment. But what if we all, as a church, not just moms, started praying like this? What if we all started praying for enlightenment to the empowerment of God in our lives? What if our emotions, our fears, our doubts, our anxieties, what if our depressions, what if all of that began to be starved and our minds became fully aware of what God has done for us. And the same power that we just read about that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power empowers each believer. What if we started praying that as a church? That God would enlighten that, that we'd become aware of that. What would our homes begin to look like as dads, as moms, if we began operating in the reality of the power of God instead of the emotion of our fears and of ourselves and our, our insecurities? What would our schools start to look like? Our neighborhoods, our workplaces, when we begin to operate in the reality of who we are. Listen, the rest of Life Journey Church is not going to be very successful if we have a, a, a bunch of people, including myself, who do not understand that we have the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that same power working in us to bring us into full obedience with God. It's time that we stop searching for stuff that we already have. How many of us pray for power? Man, I do. I find myself praying for that. That's Barry at the locker bidding on one he's already won. That's really what it is. Man, we don't need, we don't need to pray for power to share the gospel. Listen, the gospel is the power to save, right? We don't need to pray for, we have been given all of Christ we're ever going to be given. We've been given all of the Spirit of God we're ever going to be given. And so Paul is not praying that, God, would you give them more of the Spirit? He's saying, God, would you, 
enlighten their minds to understand who they are in Christ so that they can start towards the last part of the book. We'll get to it. So they can start living like it. Because it's tough to live like you got the power if you don't have the power. All right? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the reality of your word, the reality of your truth. God, we thank you that, man, Paul sets an example for us, for us who believe that we should be praying first and foremost for enlightenment, for a realization of what you are doing in us, what you have already done for us eons before the universe even began. God, would we, could we be a church right here in Crozet? Could we be a church, a body of believers who begin to operate in that power? That our minds, that we pray daily, yes, for peace, yes, for health for each other and for ourselves and for our children. But God, above it all, that we would pray for enlightenment, that the eyes of our mind would be open to the reality of who we are in Christ. Oh God, what what kind of church could we be when we begin to operate in that power? So Father, thank you for today. Thank you for moms. And what a beautiful day it is to celebrate moms. Thank you for my mom and for her mom and her mom's mom. God, all the way back for every mom who has instilled so much love and so much care and so much man, emotion and affection in the lives of their children. But God, in this room, I pray that moms pray faithfully for the enlightenment to your empowerment in the lives of their children the lives of their spouses and the lives of their co-worker and the lives of their pastor. God, so, but God, also in their own lives, that they would pray for enlightenment to the reality of your empowerment. So God, we thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.